Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. On the show today, we have the chief of Sawarita Police Department. Did I say that right? Sawarita. And his name is John Nolan. How are you? Good morning, Sherry. I'm doing good. I'm trying to adjust my mic. There we go. Okay. Before we start the show show, I want to do our above and beyond the badge. I love this segment. I love hearing about what the brave men and women are doing. Tell us about some of your detectives. Yeah, we had a particular case. Now, this was a residential burglary, and obviously a residential burglary a little different than a commercial burglary. This is your home, your palace, your castle. And we had one in which $60,000 worth of merchandise or property, I should say, was stolen from this uh, home. And so uh, we looked at what the two detectives did, although all personnel in the department were working on this. We had patrol working it and detectives and whatnot, but um, two folks stood out. So I'd like to share this with you. This was back in April. The Investigations Bureau was assigned a residential burglary investigation involving three suspects. Patrol discovered the uh, that one of the suspects was involved in a vehicle collision as they actually fled the scene of the crime. So detectives Tom Johnston and Christina Palayo were both assigned to the case. And during their investigation, it was discovered that the female suspect had met the victim in the case on a dating application, sort of met online. And over the span of a few months, she was able to gain the victim's trust um, and then learned that the victim was out of state doing some work. And she, along with two co-suspects, two males, uh, entered the home and started burglarizing it. Now, they were there for hours and able to uh, uh, take lots of property. And that's why the loss was in the neighborhood of $60,000. And the detectives um, started doing follow-up on this. They learned that through a video system within the home that one of the suspects came into the home armed with a, uh, a firearm. So none of the suspects were initially identified, even though we had video of them. And both Detective Johnson and Palio worked tirelessly to identify them over weeks. And using different search engines uh, available to just law enforcement as well as the public, they were able to identify the female suspect. Detective Palio made uh, phone contact with one of the ex-boyfriends of the female suspect. And then during that conversation, she obtained uh, important information about her whereabouts. And from there, they uh, worked with patrol officers uh, in the investigations bureau, the patrol bureau, and took her into custody. During one of those interviews with her, they were able to get more information, identified one of the male suspects, and then on top of that, uh, used the U.S. Marshal's Office. Now, Sawadita PD works with the Pima County Sheriff's Department, TPD, Oro Valley, Marana, um, Border Patrol, Customs, FBI, DEA, and basically all our allied agencies. So we were able to use the marshal's office to apprehend uh, one of the suspects. That turned into additional interviews. Uh, Detective Johnson reached out to um, some security services to assist on this. And what happened is that teamwork by Johnston and Palio, they were able to obtain multiple search warrants. Search warrants were served. In additional evidence was gathered and uh, listening to uh, jail phone calls, things of that nature and wound up getting uh, an issuing over at the Pima County Attorney's Office, as well as getting a true bill, which means official charges through the grand jury. This took weeks and weeks, and it was teamwork. 
It was a lot of tedious work uh, by phone, through computer systems, and field work as well. So they were commended for this. They did a fantastic job. And we now have three people that are being held accountable for coming into somebody's home and stealing a lot of property. And that all started because they met online? Correct. Yes. What does that tell people about giving your information out online? What kind of a online situation was it? Was it a dating app or or just, you know, they, hi, LinkedIn? Yeah, they may have met legitimately online and then developed a legitimate relationship. But at some point, obviously, that turned south and the female uh, decided to, isn't that strange? Um, law enforcement talks about male, female, suspect. But uh, uh, she wound up, obviously, uh, going south with that relationship and decided that she would steal a whole lot of stuff with two accomplices. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. That's that's a lot of true police work. Yes, they did a lot of work. And a lot of people don't understand detective work. Um, a lot of times it's uh, with a phone glued to your ear and other times it's field work and other times nowadays is a lot of it is uh, being really savvy uh, with computers, software, databases, things of that nature. Staying up to date on what's going on online. Yes, exactly. So, explain to people what field work means because I don't think the vast majority of people understand there's a lot of work involved. Yes, there is. So sometimes that's contact with witnesses, victims, uh, involved others, people that know a little bit, but may not be an official um, uh, witness. And sometimes that is surveillance. So what you see on TV commonly, um, uh, sitting in a park, watching something, sitting in a car, watching something, uh, going in and out of businesses, doing surveillance of people that you're trying to track down. So there's a lot, it's fairly broad. I use the term field work as, as we do in law enforcement, but uh, it's when they're out and about uh, tracking down leads. In listening to, like you said, phone calls, watching videotapes, and they think, you know, oh, you watched a videotape. You can watch hours and hours before you get up to yes. what you need to watch. So, exactly. Yeah, and if people have information, they can call 88 Crime or they can use the, the P3 app that goes on any phone, which is an international app that does the same thing. It'll get your tip to the right law enforcement agency and you can still remain anonymous. Yes, and, and calling 88 Crime, we utilize them a lot in Sawadita and uh, it's very effective. Uh, you can be an, an anonymous, I mean completely anonymous, uh, and provide information. Uh, so we've solved lots of crimes and that that's important. That means our residents, our citizens, our community is involved in actually working with the police department, our detectives, our officers, et cetera, providing really important information. In both of those apps, P3 or 88 crime, you could potentially get a reward for the information that you supply law Correct. enforcement and never have to go to court. Isn't that awesome? Correct. Yes, I don't that's even true. know your name. So tell us a little bit about you. How long have you been on law enforcement oh, and, I've, and what made you do that? Yeah. Uh, I watched too much, um, Adam 12 when I was a kid. <laughs> one Adam 12. So one Adam 12, you betcha. Uh, Reed and Malloy. And, uh, I think when I was a little kid, I knew what I wanted to do, but, uh, and the reality was Barney Miller. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen that show as well. But uh, so since I was a kid, I think I knew what I wanted to do. And I've been in law enforcement. I'm coming up on my 38th year here in December. Uh, still having lots of fun. I enjoy it. <laughs> I did 30 years in California and retired out of California and then came here to the great state of Arizona, which I am truly in love with. Um, and I've been here for the last seven plus years now. And uh, my wife and I love it. Uh, we both live there in Saudita and it's a great community. Where in California? Uh, the bulk of my time, I started in Morro Bay, California, okay. then went to San Luis Obispo. So those are both in uh, Central Coast area. Talita. And then we went back to our hometown, Santa Rosa, California, where the bulk of my career, 25 plus years, uh, was at. And I, I've been really, Sherry, I've been really, really fortunate in my career. I've got to do a variety of assignments, collateral duties, et cetera, everything from honor guard, um, color guard, multiple tours and detectives, traffic enforcement officer, patrol officer, sergeant, detective sergeant, uh, internal affairs, SWAT, um, just a variety of opportunities, some of which I had different chiefs. I've worked for nine different chiefs of police. And sometimes those chiefs would look at me and say, you're going to X a particular assignment and you're going to like it. And it wasn't necessarily I liked the assignment, but boy, did it help me develop uh, as a police officer and uh, a professional law enforcement officer. It really did. So I consider myself really fortunate, uh, sometimes being directed into assignments and other times... Voluntold. Yeah, voluntold, you betcha. And other times uh, competing for those assignments and, and getting them. So um, very fortunate and... Uh, I use experience from uh, those different experiences every week. Okay. When you are part of SWAT, people think, you know, okay, you're assigned to SWAT. There's special training involved. Oh, yes. You don't just go to SWAT and you have to be, it's kind of like a, an honor to be part of a SWAT team. Yes. And just like we do here now, uh, Saudita participates with the Pima County Regional SWAT team. And in fact, I think we're doing some testing with that to see if some of our officers uh, may qualify for that. But typically on a SWAT team, they put out an announcement, you apply for the position, and then there's a multi-phase testing process, everything from uh, physical fitness to other types of skills, shooting skills, climbing skills, repelling skills, all that type of stuff. Mental so, stability. Yes. Um, very important. And, and an ability to actually follow instructions mm -hmm. and uh, not cowboy it up. SWAT teams are very regimented, very strict by design. They go to the most critical incidents and they do their best to solve those critical incidents with special weapons and tactics. Um, they have developed over the last um, several decades. Uh, I think LAPD had the nation's first SWAT team. I might be wrong on that, but I think they had the first or one of the first. And um, a lot of agencies have learned over the years what to do, how to do it, best practices, things of that nature. And the technology that SWAT teams now use is uh, far advanced than what it used to be. I've seen the Pima County SWAT team in action a couple of times, and they're pretty impressive. Yes, they are. Very the disciplined. SWAT. Very disciplined. Do you have canines? We don't. That is something we're looking at um, creating. I'd like to do that here the next, 
at the furthest, 18 months. Um, we need uh, to increase our staffing by just a little bit more than what we currently have. So you're hiring. Yes, we are hiring. You can go to uh, the town of Saudita, just Google town of Saudita, and it will take you to a page real quickly, and it'll say job opportunities. You can click there. So we're hiring. Yes, we are. All positions or just law enforcement? What are you, what are you hiring? Well, we just hired uh, some civilian positions or um, a uh, admin, or I'm sorry, a uh, executive assistant for myself. And then we hired a, uh, or we're at the process, I should say, of two other civilian positions. One is an admin specialist that will deal with fleet and community policing issues. And the other one is a crime scene specialist. So we, while we're a smaller agency, we're fairly sophisticated. We do our own crime scene processing. Oh, that's impressive. Do you have a lab? We have an area in our property and evidence section where they will process certain items for latent prints. We collect our own DNA from people or objects, wet or dry. We um, use a, a technology called CSI 360 to go ahead and photograph technically um, crime scenes, indoor, outdoor, to where you create that virtual world and then you can walk yourself through that crime scene and identify, you know, a gun on the floor, blood splatter, uh, a traffic collision, all that type of stuff. It takes um, um, thousands upon thousands of pictures. But what that does, it's it's a great technology for us, is it allows detectives and others, such as those that may actually adjudicate the case, a jury, et cetera, walk through the crime scene with us. So, um, like I say, while we're smaller, we're fairly sophisticated and, uh, we now have three positions for crime scene specialists that actually do those, uh, that do that crime scene processing, collecting evidence. Do you have a, a youth program? We do. We have an explorer program Okay. and, um, you can contact the Salvadita police department if, uh, you're interested in that. We are actually, uh, having, some testing going on to put two new uh, Explorer coordinators in place. It took a hit during COVID, like many things did. Everything did. <laughs> but yeah, we, we do have a, an Explorer program. And how long have you had that, do you know? Oh, several years. It was in existence before I arrived before and arrived. we've kept it. And do the kids really get involved with it? I know the Explorer program, they just renamed it something else up in Oral Valley, but TPD has one. And it's just, I've had the kids on the show and it's just so awesome to see these kids be responsible, be adult about their decisions and know what they're doing. Sure. And, you know, they don't have to go into law enforcement after this. They can go into whatever phase of life they want to, but it's an amazing experience and the mentorship is huge. It and, is. And, and, and we actually have an officer that uh, was one of our explorers several years back, and he's doing a fantastic job. Um, and uh, some uh, go towards law enforcement and some don't, and that's perfectly fine. But they get an opportunity to do different types of competitions with other explorers here in Pima County or the Tri-County area. Uh, we have sent our explorers out of state uh, obviously not COVID years, but in different years to compete um, in explorer trials, competitions, things of that nature. And they've done really, really well. Yeah. People don't realize it's a national organization Pro that, you know, and it gives them something, you know, sports, people are competitive. This is competitive too. 
Yes. And it's just an awesome program. I'm glad you have one of those. Thanks. Keep we're, keep we're, our kids off the street. We're happy with it. So other than you canine the SWAT, let's talk about when you first started on the police department, attitude towards law enforcement was a lot different than it is today. Well, yeah. Now I've I've been doing this since 1984, uh, so I'll, that'll give a little bit of my age. But I've been doing this since uh, the mid 80s, and um, I have seen the pendulum swing back and forth. Now the bulk of my time was in California. However, that pendulum swings in California as well as here in Arizona. So I've seen where uh, law enforcement and public safety are in favor, meaning they're appreciated, and other times they're not. Um, so everything from Watts riots to Rodney King to all the other events, uh, recently George Floyd, um, and other events, uh, the defund movement, et cetera, where, um, officers are appreciated for one multi-year period and then quite frankly, beaten up on and thought of as, uh, some of the worst problems in society. And I'll clearly state my opinion absolutely not true. So um, I've seen people get hired uh, in law enforcement that should not have been hired. And the responsible chiefs and sheriffs have said, enough, we're done, move on. And they've basically released them from employment. Um, And I believe the vast, vast majority of all chiefs and sheriffs are doing that with uh, and being responsible. So um, I can think back, I won't give names or anything like that, but I can think back of two or three occasions over the last uh, 37 to 38 years where it, something made it clear the person wasn't a match for us. And um, I think in all of those actions were taken within a day or two max and the person actually never hit the street again. Um, so uh, we, Saudita, will take all complaints. Um, the term I use is large or small. We'll take them all. If you complain about our officer looked at you cross-eyed, we'll take the complaint. We'll investigate it and determine what actually happened. If you tell us our officer treated you rudely, we'll take that complaint. If you tell us our officer did a horrible job on an investigation, we'll take that complaint. The idea is to take the complaints, and if we made a mistake, own up to it, yeah. and then simply correct the mistake. We spend a lot of money uh, and invest a lot of time in training of our officers, and they're valuable. Uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of uh, people in law enforcement get into it for the right reason, and they do a high-quality job. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that. And, you know, that takes, like you said, a lot of training. And it's so rare that you have an officer that's rude or, you know, has bad attitude or maybe they had a bad day, <laughs> you know, True. and they take it out on you. It's very unusual, but, you know, things happen. Yeah, and, 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 let, me, and let me say this. Officers are humans. They will make mistakes. The idea is to learn from the mistakes. Um, But rude is rude, and we will address that. I mean, um, I can think back probably to things that I've said uh, to people I've had contact with when I was an officer, and, man, I could have said that a whole lot better and avoided the argument. Um, So uh, it's a process, um, but it's like any other um, career, any other field of work, you have people that are really meant to do it and then some other people that shouldn't be doing it. And some of the people that complain, they, they need to sit back and think about what did I do to provoke? 
that person. What did I do to, you know, you're getting pulled over for something. The first thing you do is start arguing with the policeman. You don't even know why you were pulled over yet. Or, you know, doing some of the things I've seen in the news lately, disarm them, try to run like hell the other way. I mean, you know, it's... Some behavior is just not acceptable. <laughs> uh, that's true. It's strange. You just mentioned sort of the typical traffic stop, and um, I'd like to share. We actually do. We actually practice what we what is referred to as verbal judo. Right. Verbal judo is a system of how to talk to people and explain why we're contacting them, why we need them to do a certain action, such as sign a ticket when it's mandatory for them to sign, things of that nature. And verbal judo presents a process explanation, explaining consequences if they choose to do something incorrect, things of that nature. So when you've got time and there's not a safety issue at hand, we utilize verbal judo. In fact, we just sent five officers through the verbal judo instructor course, and we will be instructing uh, all of our officers in the department on verbal judo. We've already done that multiple times, but now we will be able to uh, conduct that training in-house and refresh that training uh, every year to two years max. That's, you know, just like a, a lot of jobs. You have annual training. I have annual training with three of my jobs that, you know, annual background checks with three of my jobs. So, you know, there are things that you want to do and refresh. Just because you took it once doesn't mean you're good at it. You need to do it again and again and again yes. to make sure. What about this police reform? Well, uh, touchy subject. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about it. So let me give you my perspective on this. Um, I imagine there are departments that need reform. The Saudita Police Department, in my opinion, does not need reform. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We do. Again, we're human. So humans make mistakes. They make judgment calls. But whether you want to call it defund, reform, rethink, reimagine, or any other uh, term that has sort of been floated out there to try to uh, push this philosophy, it makes it sound like the vast majority of departments need reformed, um, need uh, uh, to be disbanded, things of that nature. And that doesn't this, work. Yeah. And this is an area where obviously um, I have uh, quite a bit of experience, and I'm not aware ever in my career where people are making poor choices on purpose in a, in, in, a, um, in a manner where they're doing it all the time. So do employees sometimes take a shortcut? Yeah, I was supposed to do this process to book this piece of property, but I took a shortcut. I still booked the property. I just didn't package it correctly. Those are things we do internally. But the way this reform, rethink, reimagine, defund movement is going, it makes it sound like there's a large percentage of police officers out doing poor work, bad work, criminal work, things of that nature. And I find that just not to be true. Um, one, I, I told you earlier, one of my assignments in my career was to work internal affairs. And I know a bad cop when one comes up on our radar and we know what to do with those folks. So um, those are legitimate investigations to determine the, the, the truth, the fact of the matter. And uh, when it shows, hey, this was just, this was beyond a mistake. This was a, this was an area where somebody did wrong and they did wrong on purpose. Well, then they either get their writ reprimand, a day off, multiple days off without pay, 
they get a demotion, they remove from assignment, or quite frankly, they're fired depending on the level of the the violation. How egregious it was. Sure. And I've said it before, good cops don't want bad cops on on their department. Absolutely and true. Because it just it ruins it for everybody. Yeah, and, and that's not what that's not what those good cops are about. They're about doing a good job. They're there about providing quality service and policing, investigations, security, protecting um, their citizens, protecting the community that they actually live and work in. So I, I think about at least half of my employees at the police department there in Sawadita actually live in Sawadita, and some of them are just in Green Valley and. Green Valley and Sawadita are contiguous. So one yes. side of the street, you're in Green Valley. The other side, you're in Sawadita. And then we have some folks that live in different areas of Pima County. Um, but uh, you're right. Uh, the, the folks that are doing good work do not want that person that causes problems on the department. How do you feel about, um, and I've, I've been thinking about this because it seems like a lot of people are judged by what the media says. Trial by media. How yeah. do you feel about the media? Well, I'm uh, here. I can hear you. Yes. <laughs> Hello, media. Um, so uh, I am a news junkie, and I've told this to people. I watch a lot of news. Uh, news is important. Imp but it's also important to get the accurate information. And I believe there are a lot of media that go out and want the story first, put out a version. Some will correct it later on, but often the folks listening to that information only hear the first version that comes out. Um, and sometimes it's highly inaccurate. It'd be like rushing to judgment in a criminal investigation. We don't do that rushing to judgment in an internal affairs investigation. We don't do that either. So the idea is for us is to get the media accurate information as quickly as possible. And I realize now we live in a day and age in which um, a lot of this is done online. There's clicks involved in it and things of that nature. But it's important for us as law enforcement to figure out how to get that accurate information out to the media and quite frankly, use our own media, social media, web pages, things of that nature, to also put that information out. But it, it, it needs to be accurate. I've seen so many times you're watching, you know, Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, whatever it is, and they'll start a story and they'll go off into left field or down the rabbit hole with a theme. And then it, it just like has a life of its own and it's totally inaccurate. And, you know, it just paints a bad picture for whatever they're reporting on. And people believe it. And, you know, you just like, oh, my God, correct that. And they don't. Yeah. Um, from uh, for many years, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And if it's um, if it's something that is really controversial, that, you know, makes that front page or it makes the top of the newscast, things of that nature. And I understand that those are things that I'm interested too as a community member and obviously as a law enforcement uh, member, but uh, I'd like to figure out that right um, match where we're providing you information, but it's accurate information because often um, some agencies will give out a lot of information and then have to correct it. 
and what is in the paper or the newscast is, well, now they're saying they were wrong the first time, and now they're saying this. The corrections on page (laughs) six in tiny print at the bottom. Well, that happens too. (laughs) But, yeah, I, I heard a lot of stuff, and one of the things that really struck me, especially with the George Floyd case, is they immediately went after the uh, the policeman when what he did was wrong, but they went after his record, his police record, and nobody talked anything about George Floyd's record, which was pretty extensive, in and out of prison a lot, and, you know, felony warrants, and I thought, you know, this is a little one-sided, and I thought about it, and there's a lot of cases that happened in between or since then that were also very one-sided. And they blame law enforcement for everything that went down. In my head, I'm thinking, okay, if you weren't on drugs and you weren't doing all this illegal stuff, you probably would have never met that law enforcement officer. Well, some cases we make contact with people because they're making mistakes, they're making poor choices, they're doing criminal activity, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> I will say this in regards to the George Floyd um, one. I listened and watched a lot of the trial, but not all of it. I, I simply didn't have the time. I also I work for either. a living. But um, with that, um, the we utilized at Sawadee PD that video of whatever it was, 8, 9, 10, 11 minutes uh, of the knee on the neck. And I remember gathering my department together in two different sessions at one of our high schools in an auditorium and explaining that was completely, absolutely and I mean absolutely unacceptable. Um, I explained to people at the time, you show me a police academy, local, state, federal, or anything else that teaches that technique, and I'll tell you that they're wrong because it's not necessary. And uh, George Floyd, when Chauvin was leaning on his neck, was no longer resistive. And even I think one of the rookie officers is reported to say, should we turn him over? Which is the, which is the recovery position that everybody talks about. So that was made. Uh, that's an, a huge error, a huge mistake and a crime. Obviously, he was convicted uh, by a law enforcement officer single a law enforcement officer did that and he's been held accountable for that now obviously in in state prison but uh with that um my officers were shocked it's like what the heck is this guy thinking why doesn't he get off of him so um uh it was wrong it was criminal uh i stated that at the time um it was real flagrant uh but um you do make a fair comment uh some people make uh, choices in their lives that put them in certain positions, uh, but that doesn't justify Chauvin what he did. leaning on him like that. And I don't know any department that teaches that technique. None uh, of them. Neither do I. Um, something that it was his choice. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. This is Amy, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. Before you head out, turn your location app on in your smartphone then power that phone off until you need it. In an emergency, you will need a fully charged phone. Hi, this is Sherry asking you to tune in to Law Matters Live Show every Saturday morning at 8. On our next show, Jim Fotis, the president of Police Defense Coalition, joins our conversation. So get your questions ready to call in at 790-2040. We can't do these shows without your help. Please go to lawmatters1030.org to support our mission. 
Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. On the 16th of October, at the Steam Pump Ranch Farmer's Market in Oral Valley, the Oral Valley Police Department, Mercy Care, and Law Matters are hosting an anti-sex and human trafficking awareness event between 8 a.m. and noon. From 8 to 10, Law Matters will be on-site broadcasting a special two-hour live show. About 25 partnering agencies will be on-site as well. So come join us. There will be a lot to do and learn. It's Mark from Law Matters, and I'm asking you to join us in our 1030 campaign. 1030 is code for unnecessary use of radio. Keep our radio show free from unnecessary advertising by visiting lawmatters1030.org and click the 1030 campaign button. Your monthly tax-deductible donation of $10.30 will allow us to broadcast public service announcements instead of advertisements. Visit lawmatters1030.org and sign up today. Deputy Chuke here with Pima County Search and Rescue. If you're thinking of a trek through nature, plan ahead, look ahead, and use your head. Your future depends on it. Okay, we are back. Our guest today is the Chief of Police from Sabarita, and we want to switch gears here a little bit. Today is 9-11, and I think everybody remembers where they were when all that happened. Tell me where you were. Actually, I was at the Los Angeles Police Department Academy going through defensive tactics ground fighting school. So one of my assignments uh, was firearms instructor. Another one was defensive tactics instructor. And I can remember that day specifically out by the airport. We were in their mat room and all of us were going out of it. We were actually sparring. So a lot of noise, uh, sweating, grunting, all that kind of stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, for some reason in that room, while there were probably 40 people attending the class, uh, separate from instructors, we had a um, eerie feeling start. Things started getting quieter and quieter. And then literally in about five or 10 seconds, everybody stopped and was motionless. And we were all looking at each other, knowing something was wrong, but had no idea what it was. So this was a sealed room, second floor there at their um, academy. And it's out by the uh, LAX, the, the airport there. And it's quiet. And then all of a sudden we start talking, why is it so quiet? Why is it so quiet? Because we're used to airplanes flying over. And we step out in the hallway and we can find nobody. So it's a large facility, nobody. But down at, zone. Yeah, it was eerie. So down, way down at the end of one hallway, we see a bunch of people gathered um, in in uh, their training attire. So the, the LAPD Academy is a, it's large. It's 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 fairly sophisticated, and we all start walking down there, and we're not saying a word either because we know something's wrong. We just can't figure it out, and we get down to the end of this long hallway. And everybody is glued to two TV sets. They're watching it. And 
we realize what has happened and we get that information. Um, so it hit hard. Um, it went from helicopters buzzing and jets landing and taking off to the only thing that was in the air was law enforcement. Um, and I think they had a restriction on certain law enforcement aircraft as well. So that hit, um, hit home, uh, hit us all. We're like, what the heck happened and how did it happen? Um, we realized uh, with the collapse that we had lost a number of firefighters. I have two brother-in-laws that have retired uh, since from the fire service. Uh, so the loss is real. Um, so hundreds of firefighters and so many police officers that day there in New York, as well as EMS, as well as citizens, as well as people trying to do the right thing, et cetera, in the attack. And... Um, so that hit me, obviously, like it hit many other people. And then uh, at some point, I had to drive home. So uh, from Los Angeles to Santa Rosa, California is hundreds of miles. Um, I drove home uh, by route of I-5. Uh, and I had never seen so many flags attached to vehicles within a day of yeah. the event in my entire life. It was stunned me. I was in awe. I couldn't find a vehicle other than mine without a flag. I stopped at a dozen gas stations trying to find a flag to put on my vehicle and I couldn't find one. I was frustrated. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But um, made it back home, obviously got more information. Um, it has impacted uh, the fire service significantly. It's impacted our entire country significantly. Um uh, it has impacted law enforcement, uh, first responders, and in particular, I, and I know firefighters lost the majority of life that day from first responders, but in the area of law enforcement, we lost so many as well that were responding uh, to the towers and since then from illnesses, et cetera. But um, it's one of those things where uh, for a couple years, uh, those first responders were really thought of as heroes because they were people that did what they did uh, in the res- those uh, responding or not responding in those days that followed did amazing heroic work the day of days after etc uh, and they deservedly were called heroes and then another event happens and we get to a point like what has happened as the pendulum has swung a couple of times since. Uh, since then in the uh, 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 2001, but now we're like in this defund and the police are evil type of stuff when it's absolutely not true. So uh, it has impacted law enforcement. There have been different days where we get intelligence reports on or near 9-11 where we add additional staffing and people go, with well, uh, really with a small town like Sawarita? Oh, yes. And the that's the correct answer. Yes. Um, schools like Sandy Hook, that horrific shooting, is smaller than Sawadita. Ferguson, Missouri, where horrible stuff happened, is smaller than Sawadita. So stuff happens in big towns and small towns. Um, and so when we get certain types of intelligence uh, information, we'll staff for that kind of stuff. And now I am concerned with uh, the exit from Afghanistan and the 13 military uh, personnel that were killed in that excess process, exit process, um, what we face now in the future. And um, so many people migrating uh, to the U.S. and other countries and things of that nature. So uh, 
law enforcement, um, our uh, federal partners, state partners, et cetera, are going to have to, um, you know, step it up, step up and make sure we're doing what we need to do uh, to keep our community safe. Uh, and Sherry, b- before I forget, um, the Sawadita Police Department, like probably all of our Pima County agencies, has um, military personnel attached to it. So I've got uh, officers, employees that are still in reserves and things of that nature serving our country. And they've done so so heroically and well for the last 20 years. Uh, I'd like to say a big thank you to our U.S. military, all branches, all branches, and say uh, thanks for keeping us safe and doing sometimes those horrific tours uh, away from family, friends, and often your primary job. So thank you all. Oh, absolutely. I remember after after 9-11, it was like a week or so later, laying in bed at night, and all I could hear was wave after wave after wave of aircraft leaving. And being so thankful that we had these brave men and women who were willing to go and do what needed to be done, but praying that they all came home safe and just thinking about my son was like 10 years old at the time. And I'm like, what kind of a future are we going to have for our kids? It's scary. It is. It is. And I know this morning there's a lot of on TV. Netflix has a really good documentary. It's a five part documentary um, about the, what happened at 9-11 and there's also a movie being a paralegal there's also a movie called Worth that talks about how did they compensate these people and what was that agenda like and they're both really good and it'll open your eyes you know you think everything is just so cut and dry and it's not it's true and in case anybody's wondering what happened on Air Force One on the 9th of October, we will have the pilot from Air Force One on the show. And he, I've talked to him. He's um, He's got a story to tell. And it's really interesting to hear what he had to say in, in some of the things that happened in Air Force One while he was flying around the country trying to figure out where to go. So <laughs> <laughs> That would be an interesting job that day. <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. And and. It was, it was Hardings, and one of the um, shows that they have on Netflix. They said, you know, when Bush finally got to Air Force One, it was already running, which is something they never do. They never start the plane before the president's on it, and it was already running, ready to go. Get in here, close the door, we're off. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, so yeah, and they didn't really know where to go, and you know, they had to figure that part out. But, yeah, some of the things that happened on 9-11, we hope that never happens again. But with, with this exit from Afghanistan, it's a little scary. And what do you do to prepare your, your people for what potentially can be happening? Well, I, I believe what we need to do at this point is uh, look at what type of training will be coming out. Uh, I've already gotten... Um, contacts through uh, different vendors, et cetera, about some of the different types of training um, from, you know, how to make officers, intelligence officers, gather information, stay attuned, uh, work with uh, different task forces. So FBI, DEA, 
uh, border patrol, things of that nature, customs, et cetera. So we'll have to figure out um, what type of training our officers may need uh, uh, connected to uh, terrorism and um, how to coordinate with other agencies. So if there was an act of terrorism in our particular jurisdiction, we would obviously be reaching out to our partners, everything from uh, you know every agency, P- PD, in uh, Pima County, the Sheriff's Department, and our federal partners as well, and obviously the state, uh, to figure out um, what needs to be done, um, things of that nature. So I, as well as probably every other chief and sheriff in the state, are looking at it going, okay, now what else is available, and how do we stay prepared? What type of equipment might we need, or does it need to be updated, things of that, that nature, um, so, um, you know, thank goodness we have, um, uh, through the sheriff's department, a multi-agency Pima regional, um, approach, um, for, uh, EOD or a bomb squad, um, a, 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 a system that is actually, it's a, I'm sorry, it's an IGA intergovernmental agreement, uh, that is going through the process right now for, um, Pima Regional SWAT, Pima Regional Bomb Squad, Pima Regional Mobile Field Force, which is specially trained officers and equipped officers to deal with civil unrest, things of that nature. And then the uh, critical incident uh, team that does investigations for certain types of crimes, such as an officer-involved shooting or an in-custody death and not what I think most people think of as an in-custody death, not the one that may occur at a, at, at a, at a jail or a custodial facility, but perhaps at a police department in the backseat of a car. And those things happen. Uh, sometimes people ingest drugs, and it happens that they um, have that medical emergency while they're in our custody. Uh, and there's other reasons different things may happen. So um, I, I'm thankful that we have that approach because no one agency in this county and really any anywhere uh, anywhere can do all things uh they just can't so the fbi as large as it is needs local help they need the local pd the local sheriff's department the state dps uh and vice versa we need those partners as well so uh, and i think that's something that came out of 9-11 um they realized hey it's not you against us it's not my turf it's our turf and everybody started working together and sharing information and i think when people you know you think swat it's not just one city it's multiple agencies coming together that create that swat team that's when you said regional squad people need to understand that means a lot of different agencies are coming together and working together yes but also great point sherry but also trained appropriately equipped appropriately so even though you might have a Saudita police officer an Oro Valley police officer a Pima County deputy and or uh, a Marana police officer on a SWAT team doing an operation they have already trained together numerous hours and are all operating under the same rules of engagement if you want to call it that and operating procedures so they know what to do what not to do so um uh, again, uh, a tip off to uh, the Pima County Sheriff's Department, which um, uh, helped instigate 
not instigate, that sounds horrible, helped put this together, <laughs> but it was also the work of Marana, Oro Valley, Saudita, et cetera, um, that helped put this together. And uh, the Sheriff's Department takes on the heavy lift of that because it's under the Pima County Regional uh, umbrella. Right. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of that. So um, that that's good news for us. Absolutely, it's good news. And, you know, it's it's not like it used to be. And when my husband was on the department, it was, you know, you didn't work with the, the suburbs. This is Chicago. <laughs> good grief. But, you know, it's it's changed, and it's changed for the good. And that's that's pretty amazing. And we all need to be grateful. And when you see a law enforcement officer, say thank you. Say thanks for your service. When you see military personnel, say thank you for your service. As they're out there doing the grunt work, they're on the front line, we're just enjoying the peace and tranquility they provide. Very, very true. Uh, we get that, and I'm very appreciative of, of it. Uh, every once in a while, I'll stop in a restaurant. I'll be in uh, uniform. I'll be recognized or something, and somebody will come up, hey, thanks for doing what you do to keep us safe, uh, things of that nature. And um, it's reciprocal. Um I've done it to military personnel when yeah. they're in their ODs or something like that, uh, or OD green, sorry. Um, but <laughs> they're, uh, they're, uh, different, uh, uniforms. Um, I've had people, uh, buy our officers lunch when they weren't looking for that at all. But, yeah. um, somebody caught a waiter or a waitress, uh, with the timing and bought their lunch, but we've actually had officers do the same thing. Sort of that pay it forward yes. type of stuff. Um, and so, uh, that's great in a community when, uh, people are doing that, that type of stuff. Um, but listeners may not be aware of this, but Saudita has a significant, um, resident population that are veterans current ser serving members of the military and a lot of law enforcement in our community. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, it's, it, it's a plus for us. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, it takes a village. And if you've got information and you think, oh, it's, it's not that big a deal, you know what, call 88 Crime or use your P3 app and send that information in. It'll get to the right agency and you could be helping solving a crime. There's Absolutely. there's so much going on, and they all need your help, our help. We all need to do it together. Be aware of what's going on around you. And we didn't even talk about human trafficking and drugs down in your area. We've hmm. only got like three minutes left. Talk to me. So... Um, thank you. Three minutes. Uh, so obviously human trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, occurs. Saudita is about 45 miles from the international border. And, um, we do utilize, uh, operation stone garden funds. I think we do it very effectively. So sometimes we get grants through that system that allows for officers to work certain types of shifts. We have those officers work those shifts looking for uh, the trafficking of drugs and pro other products, so weapons, uh, and then the trafficking of people. So have our officers pulled people out of cars, off of trains, 
um, out of vehicles in hidden compartments? The answer is yes. Have they found drugs in those same types of uh, areas? The answer is yes. So it's an important element of what we do. We um, work both in the town limits and then several miles outside the town limits. And we're currently working with Border Patrol uh, very well and effectively. So occasionally you'll see us out there uh, with a blue uniform next to a green uniform. Uh, And for us, that works. It does make our town safer. Um, Sometimes it's displacement, pushing those people that are going to consistently try to traffic uh, outside that area where we've got patrols. But um, that's our effort to keep our community safe. So it's uh, when it's used properly, uh, Stone Garden funds can make a community much safer. So you want to make sure that they re-up the Stone Garden funds and not just say, oh, we don't need this. We need it. We absolutely need it. And, you know, it's really important that people acknowledge and understand what it's used for. And it's to keep us safe. Correct. Um, so it, it, it's, it's like anything else. You don't pay attention to a crime. It grows. So um, our goal at Sawadita, obviously our mission is making Sawadita a safe place to live, work, and play. And that is multifaceted. It is doing Operation Stone Garden type of work. It is doing community policing. It is doing good investigations and reports. It's working with other agencies to be effective and efficient. Very cool. And I appreciate you coming on the show this morning. I'm on, happy to be here. Thank on 9-11, it's, it's a tough day. And I want to remind everybody that on the 16th of October, we'll be doing that event at the Steam Pump Ranch Farmer's Market. And there'll be a lot of agencies out there, plus the farmer's market will be there, the food trucks or, you know, vendors that have food. And we'll have games that you can play. And we'll be on the radio for two hours live. So if you've got something to say, don't necessarily say it there. Plus, on the 9th of October, we will have the Air Force One pilot from 9-11 on the show. And he'll explain what was going on in the air on 9-11 and you're going to want to hear it it's a it's a good a good story and he's very entertaining so thank you again for coming on i appreciate everything you do thank you for your service and your entire police department and i'll be down there probably next week great thank to you to see Jeremy. you take thank care you.